0: Um, So my name is Ross Floyd. Uh, Just to give you kind of a brief bio of myself, uh, my wife Angela and I are uh, missionaries. The past three years, we have served in Bogota, Colombia, and we are looking to, within the next year or so, move to Panama City, Panama. Um, Missions is something that we feel God has called us to, we feel very passionate about, and... uh, we just, I'm just glad that I was able to come with these guys from, from Florida uh, to hang out with you guys and, and minister to you. So the, the topic of, of the conversation, I, that the topic I was given was uh, God's men in the family. Um, so when I was preparing for this, just kind of thinking of it and just kind of the, the trail that I went on, I kind of changed the title of it. Um, Still the same theme, still the same overarching theme, Um, but the the title that I I changed it to kind of ties in to what Adam uh, talked about, and I believe might tie in to what Andrew talks about, but it's You Must Fight For It. So when we're talking about the context of, of God's men in the family, just know that you must fight for it. Um, so as I began to prepare for this and just kind of figuring out which way I should go, um, I did, as Adam, and just thinking about our, our world view of what's manhood, masculinity, machismo. Um, so I just did a, like a, a simple word search. I uh, went to the dictionary um, and just looked up, I think the first word I looked up was uh, masculine. And instead of looking for the definitions, I I did synonyms. What are the synonyms of of masculine? And here are some of the following that came up. Honorable, gallant, strapping, stout-hearted. I know that group, stout-hearted, just kind of jumped out at my face. So I was like, okay, I'll go with stout-hearted and see where that takes me. Um, And from those, stout-hearted, bold, heroic, noble, valorous, and then staunch. This time, staunch kind of uh, poked out to me, I think because the only time that I've ever heard it um, was in the context of politics. It's like in the U.S., it's like, oh, he's a, he's a staunch Democrat, or he's a staunch Republican. They're, they're very hard in, in what they believe um, to, the, to the point of stubbornness, I, I think. Um, so I went with staunch, and here are the synonyms that came up with that. Um, loyal. Faithful, committed, devoted, dedicated, dependable, reliable, steady, constant, and steadfast. And I think we can say with confidence that all of those words um, should be descriptions of men of God. That we can one day maybe reclaim that word staunch away from the world of politics, and somebody can call us a staunch man of God. Um, so, let's just get into it. Um, I think I might throw you for a loop for our first group of verses uh, when you think about being men of God, but let's, let's just go with it. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 7- through twelve. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil and satan the deceiver of the whole world he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him and i heard a loud voice in heaven saying now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our god and the authority of his christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our god and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you will dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Let's pray. God, just uh, we come to you right now. I just pray that you would, would calm my spirit, um, that I would not seek to be eloquent and have uh, a great argument for what I'm saying, uh, but I just pray that your words would flow through me that we in this, in this room would have uh, receiving spirits. Uh, for this lesson in your name we pray, Amen so we live in in, an embattled world battles and war is a reality of our life um for some cultures and countries like Northern Ireland that reality is more real than to others The truth is that war has been a constant reality for mankind ever since the fall. Brother against brother, neighbor against neighbor, nation against nation. Um, We can pull daily headlines from the newspaper of some battle going on in the world. Uh, For me, in the context that I lived in, I lived in uh, Bogota, Colombia. the, The battle that I saw on a daily basis was in Venezuela. And the effects that that conflict had... In our culture, and where where I lived in Colombia, um, here, the, the the context of the troubles, as we learned the past couple of days more and more about it, um, it's you you still feel the reality of that. Um, so there are fights that are going on in the world today. Um, there are also fights that we consider to be. Um, enjoyable. MMA fights, boxing, football matches, rugby matches. Um, so there's, those are the fights that are re- real to us but we enjoy them. Um, but there are also fights that we consider noble. Fights against cancer. You fight for a cause. Um, there's just fights and battles in our world and that's reality. So one of the questions I have for you as we as we keep on going in this is what are you fighting for? What is your battle? We see here in Revelation 12 a narrative of a huge battle. As a friend of mine once explained that this is a worldview, a worldview shaping and purpose-defining fight in war that the Apostle John tells us in this vision of the woman and the dragon. That should set the tone for our fighting as Christians and the church today. Now, you may ask, what does this have to do with the family? And how does this help help me lead my family as a man of God? Um, Both are great questions, and I hope to answer those. Uh, But what this passage gives us here is the ability to put some things in perspective. Verse 12 tells us that Satan has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Satan continues his fight today, which is something that we should constantly be aware of in our daily walks with Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians six twelve, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The fight continues. According to Pastor Wei Ho of Atlanta, Georgia, what John wants us to know is that Christ is victorious over Satan through what he did on the cross and resurrection. The same Satan that ruled over us when we were dead in our sin, the one who deceived us, who deceived Adam and Eve and therefore caused the rest of humankind to fall with them, The same Satan who accuses us and our brother and sisters before God day and night has been thrown down by Christ that we conquer because of Christ's conquest so the answer to those previous two questions what does this have to do with my family how does this help me lead them I believe the answer is this that the battle is won Christ has conquered But the fight continues. Satan is is dead set on deceiving us to believe that the battle is won, that there's nothing else to do. The fight against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil, continues. You must fight in your personal walk with Christ, and you must fight for your family's walk with Christ. And that just brings up the whole question. Now, if Christ is one, then what's the point? Um, My simple answer is that's exactly what Satan wants you to think. He wants you to be lazy in your faith. And, frankly, that's the easiest option, to be lazy. Um, To have the attitude of, um, well, God saved me, so I'm good. I don't have to do anything else. Um, That's exactly what Satan's hoping for. Um, Let me kind of put that in another way. Thank you guys for coming today. Um, The fact that you're here is amazing. You could have done anything else you wanted to but be here. So the fact that you came is just awesome. Speaking in percentages, it's 100% easier not to come, not to do anything, than it is to come, to do anything at all. So the fact that you've made the sacrifice and came is just mind-blowing. And that's how it is when we're talking about laziness in our walk with Christ. It's 100% easier to be lazy, to give in to sin, than it is to fight for our walk with Christ. And that is what Satan is striving for in his continued battle of deception. Satan is hoping that you will be lazy and do nothing concerning your walk. That as Paul says in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, we won't work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Satan is hoping that you will be satisfied with the status quo. So how do we make this work in our lives, in our personal walks, in in the lives of our our spouses, of our wives, and in our children? I would argue that everything hinges on our viewpoint and understanding of grace and mercy. Um, Now, I'm not as trained as um, David, Adam, and Andrew, um, so I don't have... Very eloquent words, but one thing that always helps me kind of understand the difference—differences between grace and mercy—is is this: mercy is not handing down judgment to someone who is well deserved of the judgment. Does everybody kind of grasp that? So, mercy is not handing down judgment to someone who is well deserved of the judgment. Grace is showing favor to someone who is supremely undeserving of favor. So mercy is not doing something. Grace is doing something. Very simplistic, very basic, but that helps me. I'm a a, a basic guy. Um, So we must let this understanding of both grace and mercy have have an impact on our daily lives. And in turn, that will have an impact of how we relate to others. When we come with the attitude of knowing how awful, how wretched a person that we are, and that Christ had grace and mercy upon us that we didn't deserve either way, that affects how we relate to others. As we are called to show the love of Christ to others, we must think of the grace and mercy that he's given us. He showed mercy for dying on the cross in our place and grace for giving us salvation that came through his sacrifice. So putting into practice, when I was talking earlier with Andrew and James, I I told him I'm a real practical guy. I like to think in what does this look like day to day? Um, How can I put this into practice? So doing that um, is very difficult, I think. Um, Some people find it difficult, or make it difficult, to be gracious and merciful. When you're relating to others, you may have family members, you may have coworkers that it's really hard to show them grace, um, to be merciful. Um, an over-demanding boss, an annoying neighbor, your children, um, I think no one can, t- I, I have a almost two-year-old, but I, I can say with, pers- with, with confidence um, that no one can test your patients as much as your children. They just, maybe that's the <laughs> 80s. <now. laughs> um, so here, so how many of you guys are familiar with the Myers-Briggs uh, personality test? So it's personality test. I've, I've taken it probably five or six times through the course of my career, just like ridiculous amount of times, but I've had to do that. Um, and they say that the more you take it, like as, as you grow in life and, and you, you change as you grow, that um, it, your results will most likely change over time. Like example, when m- my wife and I first took the test, um, she got one result that she was found to be a, an extrovert, um, an extreme extrovert. Um, but later on, a few years later, she was kind of more borderline introvert extrovert. Just kind of how life is, has changed. But every time I've taken it, I've gotten the exact same results every single time. And so here is kind of the um, the the different categories. You have extrovert and introvert. Um, that just kind of are you outwardly or inwardly focused. I think that's pretty pretty uh, self-explanatory. The next are sensing and intuition. Um, How do you prefer to take in information? With sensing, focus on the reality. You focus on reality of how things are. You just sense things. Intuition, you imagine the possibility of how things could be. The third third, uh, kind of category is thinking and feeling, which is describes how you prefer to make decisions. Are you a thinker or a feeler? With thinking, you make decisions in an impersonal way using logic and reasoning. With feeling, you base your decision on personal values and how your actions affect others. And the fourth category is between judging and perceiving. And that's just how you prefer to live your outer life. With judging, you prefer to have matters settled and you think rules and deadlines should be respected. Makes sense to me. Um, Perceiving, you prefer to leave your options open and you see rules and deadlines flexible. Um, So I've taken this this test five or six times, like I said, and every time is the same result. Um, I am a very strong... I-S-T-J, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm intuitive, I'm, I'm uh, thinking, judging, um, what was the second one, <laughs> um, oh, introverted, sensing, thinking, and judging, I'm a very introverted guy, it's hard for me to kind of get in groups and, and mingle. I'm having a good time when I'm by myself and just watching you guys enjoy yourself. Um, um, so, but, but I'm very, very strong in all those. Every time I've taken it, I'm like at the extreme scale of it. Um, and a lot of times, it's the judging that can get me in trouble. Being a strong judging, a strong judger, I find it very hard to show mercy and show grace. Um, And that at times has a negative effect um, in my personal life, uh, but also in in, in ministry. Um, I do feel strongly and believe that rules and actions uh, must be, or that rules should be followed, that you must be willing to suffer the consequences of your actions. I don't give a lot of wiggle room when dealing with wrongdoing. It's extremely difficult to me, uh, like I said, to demonstrate grace. Um, which in turn helps me understand the enormity of the grace that has been shown to me um, when I contemplate the grace of God. Because the, the wrongdoings are the things that I have problems showing grace to others. How much more has my sins towards God, how much more are those than what they've done to me? And yet he has still shown me grace and mercy. Knowing how horrible of a person I am in the eyes of God and still being shown grace to me is mind-blowing. We show mercy because Christ has shown mercy to us. We show grace because grace has shown mercy to us. Because Christ has shown grace to us. Um, So with that being kind of covered and talked about, um, let's get into the practical part of being God's man in the family. Um, I hope to give you just kind of some, some simple, basic um, aids to help you in, in, in that battle, in that fight, to be a man of God in the family. So let's first turn um, to Colossians um, chapter 3, verse 18. And then we'll be reading through chapter 4, verse 6. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best of the time, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now let's also turn to Ephesians chapter five, verses twenty two through thirty-three. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ. All right, so, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we see here in both sets of verses, Paul is giving us instructions, um, both wives and husbands and children and workers and, 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 and bosses. Um, I think they're, they're probably the most commonly used verses when we're talking about the subject. Um, and rightfully so. So let's look at the first part of each section of the verses. In Colossians, we see wives submit to your husbands as is is fitting to the Lord. In Ephesians, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now... It's really easy for us as guys, as sinners, to say, well, there you go. Wives should submit to their husband. That's the very machismo thing to say. Just submit to me, wife, and we'll all be good. Um, how dangerous that, <laughs> that is. Um, it's a huge temptation. And as... As we are tempted, uh, we should look at these verses and say, Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy with the machismo attitude saying, Submit to me, I'm the head of this family, I'm the head of this house. Do as I say. Don't be that guy. Don't look over the following portions where it says husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them and in Ephesians husband love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish that we should love, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. How many times are we harsh with our wives? So yes, it's true that wives are called to submit to their husbands. That's part of God's design for a biblical marriage. But we must also remember God's design for the husbands. One of the most key phrases for me is found in Ephesians when it says... Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Back comes the understanding of grace and mercy. Not being harsh with them, being quick to anger and slow to to understanding. Now let's turn again to the grace and mercy. Having that in mind, the love that Christ showed us his church was so massive and undeserved. How many times has our sin called for righteous anger from the Lord? And how many times have we felt righteous anger towards what we consider righteous anger towards a wife, but in reality it was foolishness? Um, the love that Christ showed his church. Was so massive and undeserved. Yet we are to demonstrate that love—the love that He had for us—towards our wife. Christ gave Himself up for the church. Husbands, we must fight to show this kind of love to our wives. So, what does that look like? So, here's some practical things that that I, I think will help us in this: leading your wife in prayer, family worship time. Um, we should make that sacrificial commitment to lead our wives in prayer and worship we should lead our wife in study as part of the worship having that time of devotion with your wife communicate with your wife one of the most impactful things you can do in your marriage is to communicate with your wife not just when having an argument and trying to get your point across. Um, I learned, I learned that, that lesson pretty early on in, in our marriage, the importance of communication. One of the first fights that Angela and I had um, was right after we were married. We had just moved into an apartment. Um, and We were kind of setting up the apartment. We got some lamps um, for our bedroom, some bedside lamps, and I was putting, putting them together. Mm-hmm. And then I walked into the living room and my wife, she was just like stone cold, wouldn't talk to me, visibly angry, and I had no idea what was going on. And then like for an hour or so I tried to get like what happened, like did something happen? Why are you so mad? And she wouldn't talk to me. And then it just blew up. I didn't let her put the lamps together. (laughs) Apparently she loves putting things together but that was a lesson that taught us like we need to communicate. Any, even in the little things that she loves to put a lamp together, the fact that I did it made her so angry that, I mean, that was one of the biggest lessons for us. Like Communication, no matter how small, is extremely important. If you don't communicate with your wife, your marriage is going to suffer. You ask for forgiveness when you've sinned against your wife when you've done her wrong. You set that tone for open communication. That you can talk honestly about hurts, feelings, and misunderstandings. Another very important thing is you ask what your wife needs. What her needs are. Now, this can range from helping at a party, for cleaning up the the bedroom or the living room, but it also means asking her what she needs to remain mentally and spiritually stable. Sometimes that means giving her space to breathe, not being overpowering and hovering over her. And in, in, in full honesty, on this, my wife has helped me come up with this list. <laughs> so, complete honesty, I am this talk, this is probably more for me than, than you guys. I'm not, I, I, I do feel that Angela and I have a strong marriage, but these are things that I need. Um, so doing these things will set an example of Christ's love in your relationship. Not only are you showing a desire to see your wife grow in her relationship with Christ, in the process, the opportunities that you'll have to demonstrate grace and mercy to her will be mind-blowing. These moments will not be easy, they will be challenging, but so is the Christian walk. Demonstrating grace is difficult, being patient is hard, and being unselfish can sometimes be impossible or feel impossible, but this is a sanctifying process. As we are sanctified in our walks with Christ, your marriage will be sanctified as you walk together in Christ. Now, like I said, these things don't come easy. You must fight to be constant in these things. I fail constantly. Um, It's easier, like I said, not to do something than it is to do something. So we must fight for it. It is supremely better and beneficial to practice them. We must fight for our marriage. So what does it look look like for the kids? Ephesians tells us that children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, this is just another, another place where we can say, see, children obey your parents in everything. Like, it should just stop there. Just do what I say, and everything will be good. Um, but we know that's not true. We see here that parents do not, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Um, The word provoke to me conjures up a few images. One of the images is of the schoolyard bully picking on a kid, just kind of provoking him, trying to get him to fight back, just constantly poking at him. Um... But another image that comes up to my mind is a father being impatient with their kids and in turn provoking an action of disobedience um, towards the father. Um, So how do we act in front of our children? How do we not provoke them? What examples do we give? We give the examples of Christ in our day-to-day lives, both in and outside of the home. So let's turn real quick to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18-21. through 21. Now in this section, Peter is speaking of submission to authority, um, which makes it great in the application of parents and children. Um, what a better way to teach them by example. For to, do, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example, so that you might follow in his steps. When a child, when I was a child, the person that I, that I looked up the most was my father. And for me, he was a perfect example of this. That the... Um, and also the crazy amount of characteristics that I've picked up from my father um, through his example is ridiculous. I think we, we, the, the saying is you, when you grow up, you end up being like your, one of your parents, your father, girls, their mother. It's ridiculous how, how like my dad I am. It's kind of embarrassing, and sometimes I don't like it. Um, but he was a perfect example of this passage in my life. The way he presented himself and handled himself at work was this. And in turn, he did that, set that example for us in the house. We must be aware of the impact that we have on our children. We must demonstrate Christ to them on a daily basis. Christ left us his example that we might follow in his footsteps So let us leave an example of what it means to follow in the footsteps of Christ. The best way to fight for your children one of the ways is to lead by example. Be the same person at home as you are at work. One of the there's a stereotype of, of pastor's kids and missionary kids. That they're the hellraisers. That the stereotypical the pastor's kids are going to be the one when they get in high school and get out of college, they'll have problems with alcohol, drug, might get arrested. It's, oh, he's a pastor's kid. Um, and a lot of that has to do that as ministers we can get caught up In the job of ministering the gospel that we neglect to do the same in our homes. But I think that's the same for all of us. We're so caught up in in what we do job-wise over occasion that we forget and we neglect to take care of our homes. So, how do we do this? How do we set the example for our children? Just a few few ways that I've, I've, I've come up with. And they're very similar to that with the, those with your wife. Um, you lead your children, you lead your family in study, the family worship time. Um, and in the process of doing this, one of your aims, one of your goals, must be when they get to the age, encouraging them to take that sacrifice and have their own time. devotion. Um, We also must lead them in prayer. You lead them as a family. You set that tone for a life of prayer. You lead by example, like I said. Let them see that you're the same person at work as at home, the same person when you're hanging out with your friends, when you're watching a football match, rugby match, whatever, that you're the same person there as you are at home. One of the most damaging things for a child is when they see the inconsistency. And you must also communicate with them. You talk with them. You show a genuine interest in their lives. Um, And like with the wife, you ask forgiveness when you need to. When you set a bad example, when you've committed a sin against them, we set that tone of submission, forgiveness, setting that example let your life glorify and honor Christ in every aspect of your life. In order to be successful in these things, you must be aware and willing to fight for them. To be willing to fight for the spiritual lives of your children, to fight to give an example of what a godly man looks like, you must fight for it. You must fight for your children. So now, now covering those things, I just wanted to add just a few kind of sidebar notes in here that will help us with our families, Um, uh, help us with our wives and and our children. Um, But I'll go over them really quick. Uh, Number one, you must date your wife. It's very important to date your wife. We get caught up in like, oh, we're married, so we're good. I don't have to um, court my wife anymore. I already got her, so why try anymore? Um, this will not only have an impact on your relationship with your wife, but it will also set a great example for your children. The courtship that began at the beginning of your relationship should not stop at marriage. We must demonstrate our desire to, sh- to know them and love them constantly, making it a priority to spend time with them alone, going on dates, holding her hand, showing a sincere interest in her life. Fighting to keep that spark that you had when you first started dating. Number two, you should try to share your passions with your family. Your hobbies, whatever you're passionate about, try to share that with your family. Whether it's exercising, playing sports, um, watching sports, doing model planes, painting, whatever it is. It speaks loudly when our families see us have a passion for something but also that we would be willing to include them in that passion unless you like to make dolls, because that's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> and the third one is is have fun with your kids. If you have kids, have fun with them. Some of my fondest memories growing up is times when I was just hanging out with my parents having fun playing and stuff. Um, One of the biggest memories I have is when I explain it to people, it seems really weird to them. But my brother and I would lay down on the ground with my dad and we had a ceiling fan above us and we would just have balled up socks. And for hours we would just throw the socks at the ceiling fan trying to get through the different blades and see if we can get through it. And sometimes it gets, you know, just ridiculous stuff like that. But spending time with your kids, having fun with them create such an amazing experience and memories for them um, that it's well worth it. They might not have a huge impact on how they grow in their faith, but it will be something very precious to them and they can remember fondly as they grow up. So those are just some quick examples, but I think are very effective and very important of how um, we can lead our, our family and have it be healthy and strong. So as we're, as we're wrapping up, I wanted to go back to my search of manhood. And the word that it came up with was staunch. Loyal, faithful, committed, devoted, dedicated, dependable, reliable, steady, constant, steadfast. None of these words, as you notice, are synonyms for Stubborn. Being a staunch man of God, a steadfast man of God, is anything but being a stubborn man of God. Men of God do not turn a blind eye to failures and faults in their lives. They are devoted and dedicated to knowing and glorifying Christ with their lives. They are steadfast in the battle against Satan through the strength of the Holy Spirit. The man of God is willing to fight for his walk with Christ. And that is no different in the family the man of god is willing to fight equally as hard for his wife and children that they would live to know and glorify Christ in all that they do the man of god is willing to fight for his family so in conclusion if we desire to be men of god leading our families in a way that glorifies and honors Christ we must do as ephesians 5:1 says be imitators of Christ as beloved children we must imitate the love of Christ to our wives and our children and imitating that love means fighting for them. So if you desire to be a man of God, to be an, a godly example in the home, a husband or a father, you must fight for it.